This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have your Bible, you can go first to Deuteronomy 18. We're just going to begin there only so we're all literally and figuratively on the same page. Uh, In Deuteronomy 18, what we are given uh, is this picture that God's going to send the Messiah. So he's going to send someone to teach, to instruct, and to help, and to guide us. And if you are there in Deuteronomy 18, so chapter 18... I'm going to share with you the closing verse from our reading. We read from the late teens into verse 20. And as we get to verse 20, it actually starts with the word, but. Now, I didn't have it there because sometimes starting with but, you're like, what came before it? The come before it is Messiah's coming. I'm going to send someone who's going to speak in my name. And then these words, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods that prophet shall die. <laughs> this is one where at least you kind of sit there and go, thus says the Lord. You're like, wow, that's, that's not the easiest of lessons. Because uh, what we hear is if we pretend to be something, oh, God sent me and here's the message, you better be real cautious who's giving you this message. Who is it that the teacher is getting their material from? And if you're listening, be forewarned as to what's coming next. So it's a warning about false teachers. You'll get this in 1 Peter. you get it in many places. But here, even in Deuteronomy, warning, I'm sending someone. But since I've told you I'm sending someone, others might try to what? They may just try to pretend that they're that messenger. Get ready for that. Uh, World history is filled with lots of people who have said, oh, God told me. And then fill it in. The scriptures have many false prophets uh, who are included there. So what we get is God is telling us there's this high stakes experience that's going on. And the high stakes experience is God is actually playing for you and for me. And he's sending this teacher and he doesn't want to lose a single person. Because it is possible if we are lost that there are two types of death. There is physical death that, unfortunately, many of us have either dealt with, we're dealing with it now with a relative, a family member, someone who's just losing some of their faculties, their abilities. Uh, Our own congregation has has suffered through that as we have lost some who are now sainted and and they are gathered with the Lord. But then there's this other piece that we're not always as open to talking about. It's spiritual death. It's us attaching ourselves to something else that's pulling us. Spiritual death doesn't mean instantaneously that you will physically die, uh, but it certainly is a disease that can inflict you and cause you a lot of harm if physical death comes prior to that healing. That's the warning in Deuteronomy 18. Don't get caught up for someone who will kill you spiritually so that if you are dead spiritually when physical death comes, maybe in the words of Isaiah and others, woe to you. May it not be. May that not be the case. So this spiritual confrontation is going to propel us. So if you're there in Deuteronomy 18, flip ahead to Mark. We're going to go to Mark, and then we're going to find ourselves piggybacking all the way into St. Paul. But Mark chapter 1 is this lesson about Jesus gathered in the temple. Now, remember, he's gathered with the religious people. He's gathered in their assembly. He is around them. And as he starts in his teaching, Mark 1, 25 to 26, Jesus is there, and this unclean spirit appears. As he's teaching, unclean spirit appears right there in the temple. 
We then hear the response as Mark records it. Jesus rebuked him, that is, rebuked the spirit. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out in a loud voice came out of him. Now I'll say it again, the unclean spirit is in the temple. Now sometimes we like to think of fortresses. Uh, This idea that there's a, a place that no one can cross. Like our home, when we lock it at night or when you lock it to go away, you'd like to think that your fortress is what? Secure. If any of you have had that moment where you come back home and someone like, got into your fortress, that there's a part of you that you can't get back. Like the rest of your life, for those I've spoken to, like just, you always wonder. Not that you don't sleep going forward, but you're just like, wow, someone, someone came where they shouldn't. So this unclean spirit is in a place many of us would consider kind of inside the fortress. How does an unclean spirit get into the, how do they get in the temple? And then what is it that Jesus is actually doing? So this battle, sometimes as Christians we talk about, we'll say, well, you know, the, the battle, it happens, you know, get ready once you, once you leave church. Our own church body uh, has a history, and some of you like the signs, there's different signs on it, but there are signs, and some of you, if the day the Lord gets to the church, someone's going to say this, pastor, we've got to get the sign that says you are now, Anyone? Someone said it. Yeah, you are now entering the mission field. Uh, there are many Lutheran Church Missouri that like, then they'll post this sign like when you leave the parking lot. Uh, and it can actually, uh, it's, it's a great reminder, but it also is somewhat damaging. How? When you're at church, you're, you, you think you're safe. Satan does his best work because you're in church and you think you're safe. So when something goes wrong inside church, you are convinced that not someone in church was broken, but God is broken. So how does an unclean spirit get in? Well, we have to remember how these spirits are here and the fact that they are all over creation. Uh, until we return to be with the Lord, we know that Satan is doing some of his best work on earth. Why? Because that's the only place he's got left. He can no longer be in the throne room. He can no longer be in God's full presence, but he is indeed working here on earth, and God is working on our behalf as well. But don't miss that Satan's going to indeed push for some of this. This is why, as we go to 1 Corinthians, what we hear is a church body who is troubled by whether or not we can or cannot do certain things. You see, Satan is always looking for weaknesses in in our armor to attack. Always trying to find the probe where, well, can I land a hit here? I'm not trying to advocate for boxing Uh, But if you've ever studied boxing or looking like this is one of the things boxers do, they're always trying to find in each opponent where is the place that they're vulnerable. This is why if you like boxing, like, oh, it's great, wait till it gets to the ninth. It takes time to wear down someone's defenses, and then sometimes the fight gets really crazy around round seven, eight, nine, and you're like, wow, now the person's worn out. Realize that we are not in a boxing match per se, but we are in a spiritual fight. And Satan has been pushing at many of you for a lifetime. Uh, And maybe he's found a weakness. So who is it that's helping to restore and build you up? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians. uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 8. So 1 Corinthians 8 is where we're going to find ourselves. And to give a little context, uh, this is speaking about food sacrificed to idols, uh, which most of you have probably not experienced in your life. Uh, Have any of you watched people actually worship an idol? Like literally worship it. Okay, uh, a a couple. Uh, It it is disturbing. See, we hear about it, but there are people who literally will worship stone, worship wood. 
They will give themselves to it. They will, they will cleanse it. They will bathe it. They will do all of these things for it. So we have, in this case, Paul speaking to a people where this was happening. And part of this was that you would give sacrifices, sometimes of meat, to this idol. So you would burn it. There was a, a priestly system. Please, not a priestly system like Israel. Yes, priests, but separate. This is a foreign religion. And they would do this in their temple courts. But meat is a rare commodity in this day. And for some people, the only opportunity they had to eat meat was the leftover meat from the sacrifices that were given would then be shared. After the priest had had some, it would be set there. So people would gather because this was where you'd meet. Like this was the big community table to get together at. So the question the early church is facing is, Okay, so this is the chance for us to meet and to, what we now call it what? Starts with N, ends in networking. Networking. Good, you guys got it. So this is networking. This is your chance. You can meet with all the people, the new businesses. You can get back and forth, but you just have to do what? You're kind of eating meat of, of, that was sacrificed to an idol. Now, for some Christians, not a problem because they sit there and say what? Idols don't exist because they're just pieces of stone and they're just pieces of wood. So who cares what you do before a piece of stone or before a piece of wood? Because I am saved in Jesus Christ, and I know that they're just talking to a part of his creation. They're talking wrong, but I'm not worried because they didn't really give it to a God. They gave it to an inanimate object. So some Christians say, all right, we can do this. Other Christians say, whoa, 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 I, no, no, like there's a foreign God there, and this, this food, this is a problem. No Christian should go near this. You shouldn't touch it because if you put that meat to your lips, you are actually blaspheming God. Therefore, you are actually out of the church. Just so we're all clear, huge tension point huge for the early church because some say it's okay and some say it's not now i could just leave a a void and i'll leave for about five seconds and consider what are some of these choke points for the christian church today just consider them don't say i'm just there's a lot a lot leave them unnamed sometimes just lets you go oh wow yeah that is contentious so this is what's happening in paul's day can we eat this food or not some say that's fine because it's just food uh, and, and God made all of creation, and we're just eating uh, what he gave to us to give after the fall in the garden. He said, then we could, we could actually eat this. So it's not a problem. Others say, well, no, because it was used for pagan purposes. Uh, we can't have it. So let's jump in and see what happens. In 1 Corinthians 8, we pick up at verse 7. <laughs> so some said you could do it. However, wrote Paul, not all possess this knowledge. So Paul's actually starting to say, yeah, you're right. This meat, it, it would be okay to eat because it's just meat that was placed before a stone. Any of you ever used like stoneware for cooking? Yeah, okay. So you've eaten stuff that was on a stone before. Like I'm just, I'm just pointing out like not a problem because no, most of you are like, it's just earthenware. Like again, it's not a problem. However, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Paul goes on, but some through former association with idols, those who have come from other parts of experiences in their life, They eat food that's really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So there are some, if you actually eat that food, they get lost. And they're worried that that somehow you are not saved, that you do not understand who Jesus is, that you've not been remade. And, and And it weakens the entire church body. Now, the challenge for us today is most of us go, well, then they just need to read the Scriptures. Come on, we can do anything we want. I've heard people say this. Well, they should know it. You can do whatever you want because we are individuals. We shall do what we want. Paul's actually talking against 
uh, us being individuals. He's actually saying, uh, if you were to <laughs> uh, move into other places, uh, he actually also says in First Corinthians, you are paid with a price. Remember, we, we, already, we read this a little bit. There's a ransom paid for you. Someone else owns you. You actually don't have yourself in Christ. Christ has paid the price for you, and he has some authority over how your life is lived. Verse 9, but take care. See, words of caution. Look out, people of God. Take care that this right of yours, the right to do things does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Uh, the word here for stumbling block is as if something you would sit in front of you, that would be in your path, an obstruction, an obstacle. So be careful, those of you who think you can do anything in Christ, that you might be laying an obstacle for someone else who might look at what you do, though it might be possible to do in Christian liberty, that someone else might look and say, you know, I'm not real comfortable with that. You know, and the fact that you're doing that It troubles my faith. To which the bloated person might say, well, then they just need to grow up. You know? They just need to learn that I can do this. And if they can't do it, then they need to go find a place where it's okay. Who just became the center of that story? Me, myself, and I. There was no community in that at all. See, one of the toughest things for a church community is how do we actually live as a community? Living as a community isn't easy. How many of you have found keeping peace in your family the easiest task in your life? Just look around. Look around. Just so we're all clear. I thought this might happen. Just, I mean, just look around. It's okay. You can look behind you today. today I'm serious. You won't see anything. No hands are raised. None. Because keeping peace in a family, it involves lots of people. It turns out families are just what? They're communities. And they require different things said at different times. Uh, and you may have to say it in different ways to the same person on the same day. But we do it because we love them and we actually want to move forward together. But in the church at times, we get there and we say, all right, this is where we did before. This is where I always knew it. So let's do it. We're not doing it your way anymore. We're not doing it yours because I'm here. Paul's warning, no, this is not how the church moves together. The community actually has to think of others so that we're not putting an obstacle, not because you can't do it in a different way, but because if you want to go moving together, you actually are going to help people move forward to understand they have greater liberty, but also to make sure that you're not losing someone behind. The greatest secret of many churches is the back door that we have. The people that leave, that people forget to talk to, call, see, think about. We're real excited when someone comes in the front door, but when they go out the back, we normally get, you know, I just, I just wanted to go. They, just, they need to go somewhere else, I guess. Do you know they went somewhere else? Most of the time, we don't know they went somewhere else. We just sleep better at night when what? When we tell ourselves they went somewhere else. Uh, many studies have suggested that someone who actually leaves the church, it can sometimes take them a year or two to come back in any church door. Not yours, but any church door. So are you comfortable with a person just having no interaction with God's church for a few years? Because, I mean, a phone call, that is is a lot of work. I mean, actually reach out to someone? Actually tell them that I care? Nope, bridge too far. Okay, pastor, we're going to start a new committee called the Welcome Committee. So when a new face comes in, we're going to do all these new activities for them. Well, what about the person that... Who, who just left last week. We don't have a committee for that, Pastor. All right, we've got a welcome committee, and we're going to really need to focus on, on, on the front end. 
I'm there. It's kind of humorous. For those of you who are like, yeah, pastor, you're doing a, a little training after worship on hospitality. Like, did you not read the bulletin? Yeah, I read it. I get it. But part of it is how do we make sure when we meet people that we have a way to contact them during the week? <laughs> Just kind of letting you know that's where that training's going to kind of go. If I can't reach someone during the week, there, there's no way to actually let them know how much we care. Uh, to reach out and to see them, uh, to know where this is going. This stumbling block then tells us that when it's just about us, we miss community. Paul will say to the church in Rome, none of us lives life to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. That's our identity. You and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are the Lord's. I alluded to it before, but just uh, two chapters before where we are this morning in 1 Corinthians 8, that's where Paul said, you've been purchased. You've been ransomed. Someone actually has entitlement to who you are. Now, for some of you, when you say that you got purchased, you get worried. You're like, well, what are they going to do? They're going to give you eternal life. Stop getting your guard up when you're like, what do you mean ransom? Now I've got to pay attention to someone? Yeah, you do. Because this person actually gave their entire life for you. The cross isn't a decoration. It's a reminder of a declaration that was made to Satan that death does not have all of us. That physical death isn't your ending. No, in your spiritual life, God has you and will care for you and will walk with you all along the way. He will walk with you from the font all the way to the grave. God will be there for you through thick and thin. The only person who thinks God's left normally is me. Because I'm a human who sometimes only sees what I see. Perspective is a mighty thing that the Scriptures give to us. It gives us the ability to see beyond ourselves. We have a chance to get the narrative of what God is actually doing in this bigger world. See, freedom in the gospel is being set free from the rat race. The race that says, I've I, I got to do more. I, I've got to sit here. I have to have so many things in line. Paul's trying in 1 Corinthians to say, sometimes the unclean spirit that can get into the temple may actually be in me. I may be the one who's in there who's actually accusing and blaming. I may be the one who says they should have, they could have. Why didn't they, why didn't they email me? Why didn't they call me? But if you ever forget to email or call someone, normally it goes a little different, doesn't it? It's just an email. You know what? They'll be okay. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I missed that one. Are we as a community of God realizing, you know what, I'm I'm going to forgive a multitude of problems because this is about Christ and Christ's gospel advancing, or do we hold grudges? Do we actually say, yeah, I can't do that. I, I can't actually work with that person anymore. They hurt me too deep. And I don't know what depth is for you. For some people, that depth is really deep. For others, because uh, we're, we're all wired differently. Uh, some people have a tolerance to, <laughs> to adversity that boggles my mind. Other people have a tolerance to adversity that, boy, man, wow, it's just pencil thin. But I don't know what their experience was before that has them so on edge. So you don't know it. You don't know what a person brings this morning. You do not know unless someone told you this morning how their night went last night. Because they may have just told you what? Hey, good morning. Morning. How's your weekend? It's good. (laughs) I get that's social construct. That's what we do. I'm not saying, again, that you need to open up to everyone, but just realize Sometimes people just play the social moray game uh, and they don't actually tell you, actually, it was one of the worst nights of my life. I was up all night because my mom called me uh, and she said that dad is seriously ill. Uh, And the fact that I'm here right now is only because the earliest flight I could get out uh, is at 2 o'clock and dad's probably going to die at noon. 
but I'm going to tell you I'm all right because in Christ I am. <laughs> but I'm dying on the inside and I'm not ready to tell you that because if I do, I'm going to break down and I can't sit in this room today if I actually tell you what's going on. See, so much happens here. I'm not telling you you have to exhaust all that to every person here, but I am telling you most of us are dealing with a bunch of junk. Because <laughs> if you live on earth, how many of you live on earth? Congratulations, you're dealing with junk. Guaranteed. I just guarantee you that. Christ gives you an answer to what that junk is. Christ gives you a way to move forward. Christ informs you. He gives you a view of how you can actually live and see life moving forward. But you are dealing with it. Are you dealing with it in a healthy way or an unhealthy way? That is something that Paul's trying to get to. Are you caring for others? See, look at the, the further text. This is then context of 1 Corinthians 8, a little bit more. But take care that this right of yours, the passage you looked at, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. See, maybe there are things in your life that you just need to be cautious when you're doing it because it may offend someone else in the church. This was a huge thing for me in college to understand what this meant. It was relayed to me in some tough ways. I'll give you examples. That they're, just not, they're not really going to help you because for me it, it was tough at times. But I had one. I was working uh, uh, at, a, at a summer camp, and there was a, a girl who just held Scripture to be very, very, very important. I'm not saying none of you don't, uh, but as we were seated there at a Bible study, uh, a Bible was on the floor. This is on the floor. Uh, and my, my, my heel touched it. She went ballistic. She went ballistic. How dare I desecrate the word of the Lord? I touched it with my heel. The word of the Lord should never be on the floor. And it certainly shouldn't be on the floor that I could touch it. Now, some of you are like, well, that's extreme. That's legalistic. That's others. Yeah, well, you know what I came to realize? If that's something she needs, then I'm going to, what should I do? Just pick the Bible up. Now, some of you are like, no, she needs to learn. Is it about building up the body or others? What does it mean then when it comes to alcohol, to parties, to crass language, to abuse and to others? Are we willing to say, oh, that's just okay, that's just what they do? Or are we willing to say, no, there's a higher calling that as one in Christ, I'm actually not going to do that because it causes someone else a trouble. If it causes someone else a trouble in this family of faith, then maybe you need to extinguish that part of your life. Not because you can't, but because it doesn't edify, it doesn't build up the body. Because you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Now, for some of you, that's too far. You're like, no, pastor, now you're trying to moralize me. I'm not trying to moralize you. I'm trying to tell you that God says that we actually should care about the community more than we care about us. How that looks in your life, that'll be uniquely how it looks in your life. I don't know the interactions you have entirely. I don't know how it plays out in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family. But I'm telling you, God says there's this higher place we have to go to. And sometimes it means that we have to say, I forgive you. One time, two times, three times, seven times, 70 times, or depending how you translate it, is it seven times 77? Uh, again, any of you, if you've all forgiven someone 490 times or whatever, uh, you started to realize that maybe God just had in mind that you needed to understand that forgiving people is going to be part of what it means to be in Christ. Because if you've got the tab where you started counting up to 400, <laughs> you're going at it the wrong way, brothers and sisters. Paul continues then in, in verse 12 and 13, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their consciences when it is weak, you sin against it. Here's the problem. 
The moment you start going at someone else, you're actually sinning against Christ. Why? Because they are part of the body. Because we are one hope, one faith, one Lord, one body, one baptism. We are one. Some of us only are used to this language when it comes to weddings, right? You know, you know that which God has joined, let no one separate. Guess who else is joined together? And all God's people said, yeah, okay, just me and Carolyn. Yeah, that's right. Just, just me and Carolyn. We're here like, we're in this together. Everybody else is like, we are not getting on that train yet. Uh, well, the truth is we're all in this thing called Jordan Lutheran Church trying to work out our daily living in Christ as he feeds us and equips us by the Spirit. This is not an easy text. Some of you are like, no, I want an unclean spirit to be about like, you know, dark evil spirits are going to come and chase me and I can ward them off. Well, the Satan does his best work for us because we are just looking for dark, unclean spirits that have like googly eyes, right? And most of us probably don't see them. But what I have seen is I've watched people aggressively attack others in the church and out because they say they should be able to do whatever they want because Christ gave them freedom. That is true. But he didn't give you freedom to hurt and wound someone else. He gave you freedom to realize that you are actually set free for eternal life and you are now called to a higher calling. See, Paul builds on this whole experience so much. We jump back to then the very unclean spirit passage in Mark 1, verse 27 and 28, as Jesus crawls into a close. Listen to how the people responded. So he casts out this unclean spirit, and then you get this, and they're all amazed. It doesn't say, and then they were all like really upset. Why did he do that? You know, he shouldn't have done that here, because that, you know, that, that was a problem casting out that spirit. Now they're just like, man, something different here. They're all amazed. So they questioned among themselves. Do you catch this? It's very human. Hey, man, did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. Did you see that? Like, did he really do what I think? Like, they're just quietly saying it's, it's out loud, but it's also just kind of, it's the low hum that's there in the gathering saying, what is this? What is this? A new teaching with authority. This is new. This has got something behind it. It's got some girth, some weight. It's moving. And where it moves, we should probably get out in front of this or follow right in its wake because this is where we want to go. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Whatever is bothering you, troubling you, whatever spirit may be in your way, allow the Lord to step in that gap, step in that void. He will heal because he promises to. He will be there for you. He will not allow any of his sheep to be lost. But the prayer of God's people must be, Lord, have mercy. Not, Lord, make me overcome. Lord, let me do this. That's why the cry of the church is, Lord, have mercy. Only you, Lord, can do what I cannot do on my own. I can't think differently than how I think right now. Lord, have mercy on me. And may he have mercy on us, his people. As we know, he has set that path forward at his cross. The tomb is empty. The hope is laid before us. Amen. Gracious and loving Lord, you have done all things. May you clean us. May you make our spirits whole as you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, as we study your word, as we are equipped to move out in and amongst the people gathered right here. Lord, the healing begins in the temple. It begins with God's people so that we might be echoes of you to all that we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.